Merry Christmas. <laughs> How's the Christmas shopping going, by the way? Is it stressing you out? No wrapping? Hey, well, it's really, really good to see you. Uh, I really just have one announcement. If you grab the bulletin, uh, you'll see it there front page or center page, that is. We have a Christmas Eve service on the 24th at 530. We've been doing this for years. And uh, I know you guys have a busy schedule. We know that you're cooking and you're entertaining guests and whatnot. Um, so we try to keep this under one hour. Uh, we sing Christmas carols. We uh, read, read really the, the Christmas story since from Genesis on. And then we conclude our service with candlelight um, while we sing. So I encourage you to make it to that. Uh, bring friends, bring family, and uh, we'll promise you you'll be out of here uh, before the hour ends. I uh, want to mention a couple of other things. Out in the lobby in one of the tables, we have a several of these books. Pastor Josh bought these. Uh, take one or take one. Don't take two. Just take one for your family. And it's really good. It, it's called Simply by Grace by, Simply, Simply by Grace by, there's a lot of buys in that sentence, by Dr. Charles Bing. And it's an awesome book. Talks about uh, grace. <laughs> If you didn't figure that one out. So uh, if, if we may run out, so I'm pretty sure Pastor Joshua will buy some more. The other thing I wanted to mention is that there is awesome, fast progress happening in this building over here. I don't know if you guys passed by Donovan throughout the week. Uh, you'll probably see a lot of cars out in the parking lot. They're the workers. The sheetrock, I don't know if the paint's up yet, but the sheetrock is up. The texture is on. The primer is on last time I checked. And there is great, great progress going on in there. So uh, pray for that. It'll, it'll be a, an awesome thing to have as our church continues to grow. And um, awesome thing to have to do ministry in there and, and uh, reach out to the community in, in several ways. I am going to read Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. Uh, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Because he trusts in you. So let's pray before we sing together. Uh, Father, we are thankful. And as we near the end of the year, we just think of all the blessings that you've given us. Uh, all the challenges, too, that you've allowed us to encounter. Uh, but we are thankful for that, Lord. And we want to communicate that joy to our friends and, and family members this Christmas. So we ask that everything we do this morning may be to glorify you singing and praying, and it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us? His hands, his feet, 
join the mighty chorus which the morning stars began father love is reigning over us brother love binds man to man ever
rest in merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. God rest in merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. God rest in merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay.
Advent to you, as well as Merry Christmas. I hope that you guys have all got your jet skis and made it out to the shipping docks to do your Christmas shopping. That's what they told us we were going to have to do, right? To go out and, and shop from the containers right off the boats. Uh, Steve, are we combining classes today? No, they're separate classes today, next week. Okay, so children, you can go to Children's Church. And remember that Explorers, that's kind of our older group of kids, are this way, and our adventurers are going to go that way. The only place you shouldn't be coming up here, boys, is the stage. I got nothing for you. That's where they were headed. But um, yeah, that's all right. Some places we do that, but not here. Anyway. All right. And we'll straighten you out if you, if you end up in the wrong spot. No problem. We'll do that. Um, but Merry Christmas to you. It's, uh, it's been busy, hasn't it? It's hard to, hard to remember. It kind of surprised me <laughs> coming up. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I've been counting down the, the Sundays of Advent, uh, as I normally do, and um, it still came upon me a little bit surprising uh, this year. I don't know exactly why that was, but you'll forgive me for being mentally distracted, perhaps slightly. Um, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4, so if you want to turn in your Bibles, I'd encourage you to do that. Now, we've been going through um, virtues. Uh, that are traditionally what things that we remember. We want to make sure, right, that we're remembering why Christmas matters, right? There, there's so many times where we, re, we, who doesn't like baby Jesus, right? Do y'all, y'all like babies? You like babies, right? Most, some people don't even like babies, you know, and I'm pretty realistic about babies. They look a little weird right at first. We've had a few of them, right? But we all love babies, right? We love babies. We love baby Jesus. We love the, the creche scene, right? The baby in a manger scene. But we do, we need to spend that time remembering why it is that those things matter. And that's why we discussed kind of the virtues and the blessings that are to come in the coming of Christ and the return of Christ, as well as remembering the promise that was fulfilled at Christmas. So we've been talking about hope. Uh, we've been talking about love, joy, those things in the last few weeks, hope of Christ's coming, the blessed hope, from which point forever we will be with him, Paul tells us in Thessalonians. Love, uh, a properly placed love, emulating God's character to the things that he loves, 
and not loving the world or the things of the world, not wasting those resources. Joy, uh, rejoicing in the things that are given to us by God. Remember, we distinguish that from happiness, which is often the result of things that we, we do, but frequently joy is discussed as something that we receive as a gift from the truths that, are, that come from God. Today we're talking about peace. Uh, this last Sunday in Advent, we're talking about peace. We can all use an extra dose of the other three, hope, love, joy, <laughs> refocusing our, our perspective on what those things are and what value they bring and what blessings that they bring to us. Uh, not that everything in the world is all about what we get out of it, and not everything in the Bible um, is about us. That's one of the key problems that, peop- that arise when people read the Bible, is that they are, frankly, a little self-centered about it. But there are blessings to be received from these things. But peace uh, may be one of the things that we notice lacking in the world the most. Right? Yes? Y'all, uh, our journalism, our media hasn't been reporting it, but, but Europe has been under constant protest for months by tens of thousands of people in all the major cities over the government's policies relating to current pandemic climate and things like that. It's not peaceful. Um, the world is not peaceful. In fact, the word irene that we see here in, in Philippians, but it's frequent throughout the New Testament, is a particular, the, the way the word was used, developed, was actually is just an interlude. The way the Greeks understood it was that there was a constancy of war, a constancy of conflict. And this is not wrong. You look at the world politically, right? We're just, peace is just the period of time in which you're waiting for the next war to start. That's been my lifetime. Just waiting for the next war to start. And that's how they understood their Their lives and their world, their politics, their political climate, all of those things. The constancy was war and peace was merely just an interlude. Gave you time to sharpen your sword and get your horse healthy. Fix your chariot wheel. Get ready for the next time it was all going to fall to pieces. Just an interlude. The absence, a temporary absence of conflict, anticipating more conflict, presuming that there's going to be more at any time. That was about the most expansive peace that the Greek mind would have understood when you simply said, we're waiting, we're we're enjoying Irene right now. That's what we have. an adequate description, I think, of the way the world functions. I think that's why Paul describes peace in these verses a little differently. He's speaking to people who are informed by the Greek understanding of peace, and we're going to break the rules today. I'm a rule breaker. It's just who I am, a rebel. But we're going to go to the last verse this morning just to set the stage for us. And the peace of God, verse 7, the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension or all understanding, anything that your mind can, can wrap itself around, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
So right off the bat, really, by, in this verse, Paul says, you know, you understand the theory of peace. It's the absence of conflict. But coming out of your culture and in your context, in your climate, you will not grasp the simplicity of what God is offering. It is simply Him. He is peace. He is love. But He's also peace. And He offers it to you. But it's going to be foreign in your understanding of it. It's not temporary. It's not simply the absence of conflict. But it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus as a, a benefit of your identity in Him. And it's not just an interlude. It's who He is. It's not inevitably broken by conflict. It's not merely a lessening or of the severity of the fighting or of anxiety of what is to come, but it's a perfection, a completion of peace. Peace, we would even say, is one of God's attributes. The old theologians would call it a perfection. When we say something, God is something, we don't have to say God is perfect something. He is peace. He is love. He is good. He is righteous. He is just. But these are perfections, completions, things that he's accomplished and is perfectly. And it's his peace that Paul says guards our hearts and our minds. It's not conditional for him, for God. God is those things. A corollary, I've used this example. Josh is a redneck. I do not wake up and say, today I shall aspire to be a redneck. I don't have to, do I, Jeremiah? I just do it. Jeremiah agrees. He knows how it feels too, I think, right? Yeah, we just wake up, it's who we are. But it is, Paul describes it in these terms, and it's what we would call a communicable attribute, not a communicable disease. Y'all are familiar with that, right? Lately, not a virus, but it is communicable. In other words, he can grant it to others. It's not simply an, of his otherness. It's not simply something that he possesses and he alone enjoys, but he can give it to someone else who can experience it, who can possess it, use it, but it's his essence and not ours. So when we say that, we say that, that God's peace is not of our essence, it's conditional for me. It's conditional. It means that there's, there's times where I may have it and times where I don't have it, times where it is guarding my heart and mind and times where it's not. Because it's conditional, whether I experience it, possess it, or use it. So we don't have to stumble upon those conditions. Don't you like that? Back when I was, the first church that I was serving, they did what uh, every year they would do. They loved, loved, loved a road rally. Have you ever done one of these? Like a scavenger hunt, except not nearly as fun. You had no idea what you were looking for. You had no idea what, I mean, if you didn't grow up in this little town of Mesquite where they lived, you had no idea. No idea. What it was. So you're just driving around randomly looking for things, trying to find them, and I just wanted to go eat lunch. And somehow, that's how that, sometimes that's how people come to the Bible and think, well, I see that that's conditional. I see that's something I don't always have. I hope I find it one day. You don't have to do that. 
By the way, we, we did the road around that. We hoped that we found it. We never found any of it, I don't think. Did we find one single thing? I don't know. Priscilla and I generally have a very ironic marriage, but we were about to have an unironic marriage that day. Ironic, peaceful. It's appropriate here, guys. He gives us the conditions. Well, we skipped. We broke the rules. We're going to now go back to the rules. The Pharisees among us will be happy, right? Just kidding. You're not Pharisees. You should expect that we go through the order. But I want to talk about the objective, right? The objective is the experience, the possession, the experience, and the use of God's peace that guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Is that something you want? Okay, one person, y'all, y'all can, the rest of y'all can, can go get some coffee or something. One person wants the peace of God that surpasses all comprehension and guards your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Okay, I'm going to presume that you didn't realize that was actually a question. You do want it. I think everybody wants it. In fact, if you were to describe it to an unbeliever, they would say that they wanted it. And by the way, that might be a decent strategy in this climate for witnessing to people. Not simply do you want eternal life, but do you want peace? Do you want your mind and your heart to be at peace? So 4.4 gives us part of the condition. Familiar verse. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Have joy. Celebrate who Christ is, the identity that we have in him, the benefits that we have in him, the life that we have in him, what he's doing for us now, what he will do for us, what he has done for us. Appropriate for now that we remember that he came into the world incarnate to live his life in order to die on our behalf and in our place so that we can have life. And do that again. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Do it over and over. There's a goal here. There's a goal here. It's not simple. We, we quote the verse all by itself, don't we? Rejoice. I, in fact, I, I, it made me kind of irritated at our little puritanical private school I went to. Rejoice, rejoice, you have no choice. They would always yell at us whenever we weren't actively. I don't trust a guy that smiles all the time, do you? If you're never unhappy, I don't trust that guy. He's on something or what? I, I don't know. You can have joy without it necessarily illuminating your face all the time like you're an idiot, right? You can rejoice. Rejoice always. It's an important thing because it's part of the strategy. It's part of the conditions for having a peace that is beyond all comprehension, the peace of God in your life. And joy is the foundation of that peace. Joy is the foundation of the peace because it is a recognition and a celebration of the things that we've been given by God. Not anything that we have done, but simply the life that we have and the, the, the virtues that come to us, the blessings that come to us by it. So you can always rejoice because God is not an... Ooh, can we even say this? See, I happen to be a Native American. I think I can get away with it. God is not an Indian giver. I'm going to be canceled right now. <laughs> Folks, I'm an Indian. At least the federal government says so. I'm not an Indian giver either, though. When I give you something, it's given. He doesn't take it back. 
Jesus doesn't take back the things that he gives to you. So you can rejoice in them always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men or to all people. Let it be understood. Let it be comprehended that you are a kind person. These are not not standalone commands. They're not isolated from each other. They're synthetic. They build on one another. I'm rejoicing in who I am and what I have in Christ Jesus, and therefore I can now be a legitimately kind person. Some translations say gentleness. That's what it, the idea is kindness to people. Empathetic behavior, perhaps. They build on one another to reach the objective of God's peace. Also, I didn't think I, I have to explain this, but I find myself explaining things that I didn't ever think I had to explain lately. Uh, being kind to somebody, it, well, I don't, I'm not kind to somebody just by telling them all the time how kind I am, right? I grew up in, in a, a very classic kind of southern household, and there was a whole lot, uh, and not this household, not just family, family, extended family. There was a lot of, I just love you to death, honey sugar pie. Honey, sugar, lumpkins, love you to death. They didn't love us, honestly, when they said that. Because you don't love people by loving those little sugar lumpkins. You don't, do you? Now, you may also love the honey, sugar, lumpkin, but how do you love them? By behaving in a loving loving way towards them. There's a definition to love in honey, sugar, lumpkin, drippy cheeks, isn't how you love somebody, just saying those words. So when Paul says, let your kindness be known to all men, how do you do that? My kindness is huge. I'm the kindest person ever, we would say. Oh, sorry, that's, that's probably not right. You don't tell them you're kind to them. That's how they know you're a kind person. Let your kindness be known, understood comprehended so it's a sacrifice of time and resources emotions that's something we shouldn't discount it costs something to orient myself towards kindness towards other people the way that Christ did who was kind to people who are not kind to him and yet he was known for his kindness So I have to behave in a loving way in order to love people. And I have to behave in a kind way in order for my kindness to be known. Or they'll never know that I'm kind. And then Paul says something interesting. He says, do this because the Lord is near. Now, you could understand that that the the rapture is near. That we're going to be physically present with Christ in the near future. We should expect it imminently. And that may be what is true. Sometimes it's a spatial reference. You ever told that Jesus is watching what you do? You're accountable to him, even if you're by yourself. I think that's the idea, is that the Lord is watching. He's near to you. He's observing. 
what is going on in your life and the decisions that you make and the kindness that you emulate towards other people. He's coming quickly, yes, but you need to understand that you and I are, are always, from the very first breath that we took, actually prior to that, probably in, in utero, from the very first breath that we took, and we'll use this description, we have always been one breath away from Jesus. Always. And that should inform the behavior that we have towards other people. Knowing that, that the very moment that I, and the next moment I can be with Jesus, I've been awfully close to a lot of moments in my life, folks. Awfully close. And the thing that mattered to him about our behavior is whether we were kind to people. Not whether they recognized I was being kind to them, because this comes up for pastors all the time. People are frequently offended by kindness. Yes? Have you ever told somebody the truth about something? Is truth kindness? You bet it is. Can a lie ever be kindness? A lie is never kindness, at the very least. You can say truth to somebody in an unkind way, but you can never lie to somebody and be kind to them. That's important distinction to make in our world. That doesn't matter. Because the Lord is near, whether that person is now estranged from you. The Lord is near. Broken people don't comprehend kindness. And keeping his nearness in mind allows me to be kind because there is no response. I mean, we're not used to thinking in these terms. I think they're going to become relevant in my lifetime at minimum. That there's nothing that that person can do in response to my kindness, even if they have misunderstood it, even if they begin to persecute me for the kindness of telling them who Jesus is and what he has done, there is a limitation on what that person can do to me. Right? They may be able to take my physical life at the extreme. But the Lord is near. Be kind anyway. Speak the truth anyway, I would say also. It seems to be the, the kind of kindness that is received wrongly so frequently. And whether I'm kind or not matters to Jesus. Remember, though, it's a process. So if we want God's peace, it's conditional. It's of his essence. It's communicable. We can experience it. We can possess it. We can use it. And in order to do that, we need to always rejoice in the things that God has given us. And we need to let our kindness be known to other people, to all men, recognizing that the Lord is near. Now, there's not a quiz after this. I'm not going to give you a, like a Scantron and ask you to fill in the correct answers. But it does matter that we remember. Rejoice always. Let your kindness be known to all men. It says be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Now on days where I'm feeling satirical, which is a good number of them, Y'all know that I, that's one of 
my lesser non-spiritual gifts is satire, a little bit of sarcasm thrown in. I'll blame that on the flesh. But it's an area of, of expertise. You know, I read that. I'm like, be anxious for nothing. Is that, gentlemen, is that like telling your wife to calm down? Oh, y'all should see some of the faces now. You know, when people are feeling stupid, they say, guys, you know, when your wife is upset, just tell her to calm down. It always works. When I read Paul's words, be anxious for nothing, I feel kind of the same way. Like Paul probably got the Philippians looking all grim at him. What do you mean, be anxious? Have you not seen the world, Paul? How many times you got to get beaten by rods and left for dead and treated like dirt by every city you go into, thrown out of every synagogue that you sacrificed for and taught for for free? How many years you have to spend causing riots all over the ancient world? And you're telling me, are you dumb? Are you an idiot? Be anxious for nothing? I expect that reaction when I tell you be anxious for nothing. Thankfully, y'all don't give it to me. Y'all are real Christians. Be anxious for nothing. Remember, it's not a, we use it as a solitary command. It's the third command in a synthesis and a strategy for obtaining God's peace in our life. We're applying it. Rejoice always. Let your kindness be known to all men. Be anxious for nothing. Now, this one has a substitution because there's only one way you can look at the world in which you live and be anxious for nothing. You need to replace, you need to fill up the anxiety spot with this. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You know, a lot of Christians lately have substituted that for as you go stand on the steps of a legislature or a government office. And I'm not averse to those things. But they don't replace anxiety in your life. It's evidence of anxiety if you go and stand before the government and stomp your feet and expect them to change something that only the Lord can change. If you want to resolve anxiety... <laughs> You can't put those things in the, in the place of your anxiety. You need to put prayer in the place that anxiety occupies. Thankful prayer. What can I thank God for? That breath? If I can't, I mean, I could start from the bottom. My boots, my socks, my jeans, my gun, my not. I mean... Everything that I possess is his. It's his by, it's by virtue of, of things that he's given to me. If you can stop at any moment in your life and you can't find something to thank God for, thank Christ for, you need to stop a little more and think a little more and thank a little more and it will resolve some anxiety for you and me. Us. We. Usually when I say you, I mean we. When I mean we, sometimes, when I say we, sometimes I mean you. It's a little tactic that pastors do, right? It's usually we. It's usually we all need to do this. 
Because anxiety and peace are mutually exclusive. Be anxious for nothing. Now, literally, it says don't care about anything. That's its own pandemic, isn't it? Apathy. <laughs> That's not the idea. We have an apathy pandemic. It's Thanksgiving prayer, thankful supplica supplication. Ask God for the things that you need, not the government, not other people necessarily, but God. Knowing that God works usually through the hands of other believers. You know, Jesus talked about that, that when you need something, you should ask God for it. He says in, in Luke eleven thirteen, if you then, being evil, you remember Jesus says, you wouldn't, if your son asks for, for bread, you wouldn't give him a snake, right? Or he asks for a fish, you wouldn't give him a snake. He asks for bread, you wouldn't give him a rock. Well, I might do that because I'm blessed with satire, but then I'll give him bread afterwards. One of my sons was out swinging a rock on a big hay string the other day. And being the father of the century, when he whacked himself with it, I went, <laughs> sorry, because <laughs> I am the father of the century. I have an award on my shelf, you know. It's after, you know, that's after six of them. You, you chuckle before you help. <laughs> but, but yes, right, if your son asks you for bread, you don't give him a stone. He asks you for a fish, you don't give him a snake. And then he says this, clearly you wouldn't do that, because fathers don't do that in general, proverbially. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, dispensationally, right? We don't ask for the Holy Spirit. But he gives you what you need. He gives you what you need. He gives good gifts. He gives no bad gifts. He gives good gifts. Rejoice always in the Lord. Let your kindness be known to all men. Be anxious for nothing. Pray thankfully and ask things of God. It's conditional. These are the conditions. And then, God's peace, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. None of those things should be separated from each other. There are no substitutions available to have a resolute, enduring peace that comes from God. No substitutions, it is conditional. Do you, you've been as a believer in your life a point where you didn't feel at peace, right? where your, your hearts and your minds were not guarded, that you were anxious for something. Did I get you there at least? Y'all aren't, aren't, this isn't a confessional. I'm not asking you to nod your heads. You know, we don't do that here. If you've lived a life free from anxiety at this point in the Lord, God bless you and praise him for it. Now you know what to pray thankfully for. <laughs> Thank him for it. Rejoice, be kind, pray, instead of being anxious. And the peace that surpasses understanding will guard our hearts and our minds. Um, 
I might say that in my redneck speech, our plans and our feels, right? The way we strategize things and the way we feel about them, our hearts and our minds. Both of those things need to be guarded, right? Putting things under guard and keeping things safe is the idea, I think. But the idea is actually to place a confine around something. And all the Americans in the room went, freedom! What are you doing? I don't deal with confines. I don't accept confines. I don't expect, I don't accept limitations. Yeah, you do. Yes, you do. Another topic for another day. But that's our reaction, right? When people say, I'm going to, I'm going to place you under guard and put you within parameters that are to keep you safe. That's actually the way the rabbis and and the Hebrew people understood the law. Those are the confines of protection. And that's the way God described it. So if you stay within this law in the Old Testament, your land will be abundant, your family will be abundant, you will reap abundant blessings that you do not deserve forever. Forever. And if you don't, you won't. Temporal blessing promised by the law. Some people may struggle with that. The idea of, of, of not just accepting, but, but seeking after guardianship like that, confines. Uh, people reject marriage because women are taught that husbands are essentially slavery. Well, let me tell you something. There's a whole movement among men that think the same thing about their wives. They're wrong. They're wrong. It's there for protection. Because this is something you're supposed to seek after. Supposed to rejoice always. Let your kindness be known to all men. Be anxious for nothing. Pray with thanksgiving so that your hearts and minds will be fenced. Placed under confine for your safety. We're not conditioned to accept those as positive. They are. Remember, the Bible calls us what? Sheep? Sheep benefit from a fence? Do they die when they jump over it? Usually. Bill sent me a picture one time, or told me about it, maybe on a picture, of a deer that jumped over a fence, stabbed itself with a wrought iron piece of the fence right through the thoracic cavity. I have goats. Goats are not sheep. They're actually smarter than sheep. They still need fences. When they tangle with the fence, they get stuck in it, and then they can die of dehydration. It's there for their good. He calls us children, too, doesn't he? The Bible. Are sheep radically different from children? Are children radically different from Yes, they are. They walk on two feet, but they both need fences, don't they? Children need fences. 
They need real fences. They need actual fences like around the yard, and they need disciplinary fences, cultural fences. They need to be taught because they have some of the same liabilities, and so do we. None of those categories, sheep or children, do very well without confines of some sort around them for their good. But when we rejoice always, when we act kindly, when we pray thankfully, Paul is telling us this places the confines around your thoughts and emotions that are for your good. Keeps you in a safe place. There are things that we ought not to think. Doubtful things about who I am in Christ, about whether Christ's love for me is truly unconditional. These are things that believers doubt at times. Our minds, our emotions, there are things that we ought not to feel feeling unworthy of the job that Christ has given us to do. Pastors struggle with that one a lot. We ought not doubt our purpose. We ought not feel estranged from our Father. See, most people don't realize this about me, and I've said it a couple times. I'm, I'm a pretty profound introvert, naturally. Introverts have this problem where extroverts run their mouth, and that's how they process things. You, introverts are smiling right now. You know what I'm going to say? Introverts' minds very quickly get out of control, they begin to spin off their reservation all those jokes about overthinking. I can use the word reservation, remember. I'm an Indian. Y'all, I am, I am. Just because I look like I'm a big old German doesn't mean I'm not. Don't judge things by their appearances, people. You know, letting your mind go off the reservation like that is dangerous. Letting your mind wander out of control, spinning a thousand miles an hour, will ruin your life. You, we need it. I can't speak for the extroverts. I don't know what their problem is. I'm sure they have some. And they'll usually tell you because they're always talking. But see, the introvert has to stop and talk to you and tell you about it. And tell you that I need my heart and my mind guarded by God's peace. And if I need that, I need to meet these conditions. I need to rejoice. I need to be kind. I need to pray with thanksgiving and be anxious for nothing because I need my heart and my mind guarded. And I think most of us do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Uh, We do thank you for this peace that you offer to us. 
with these steps. We thank you that you are so willing to share your attributes with your children and for the benefits and the blessings that it gives us regarding our hearts and our minds, giving us the freedom of peace. We thank you for it. We thank you for the life that we have to live in it. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Gentlemen, there's nothing you can do.